This is episode number 78 with the founder and CEO of Alloy Personal Training, Rick Mayo. Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. Before we drop into the episode, a quick message from our sponsor, 919 Marketing. I've worked with 919 Marketing for years and there's no one I trust more with my marketing needs in any of our businesses. I've worked with them in our franchise businesses, in my consulting business. I've worked with them on the franchisor side and I love working with 919 because they take the time to listen. They take the time to understand what it is I'm looking to accomplish through my marketing, who I'm trying to reach, and then they help me put a plan together to do just that. I've worked with tons of marketing companies over the years, and too often, it's a one-size-fits-all approach, but not with 919 Marketing. In addition to that, they've developed some amazing technology called 919 Insights, franchising's first and only AI-powered analytics platform. With 919 Insights in place, 919 Marketing can identify the exact topics that matter to your franchise candidates and provide the specific roadmap to help your brand become the highest ranking and most trusted resource when they're searching for answers. So if you're ready to start getting better results from your marketing, and if you want a free demo of 919 Insights, reach out to Graham Chapman at 919-459-8157 or send them an email at gchapman at 919marketing.com to schedule your free demo today. So whether you're a franchisor, a franchisee, or just getting started in your first franchise business, make sure to check out 919 Marketing and tell them West Barefoot sent you. Now, let's drop into the episode. What's up? Path to Freedom listeners, got an amazing episode coming at you right now. My guest is Rick Mayo. Rick's an awesome guy. I had a chance to meet Rick in person for the first time a couple of weeks ago at a conference that we were both at. And when you see this guy walking across the room at you, you're like, that's a dude that you want to get to know. Uh, he just brings that kind of presence uh, anytime he walks in a room, and it's for good reason. Um, Rick is the founder and CEO of Alloy Personal Training. And in the last year and a half or so, Rick has started franchising the business, which he talks a lot about the franchise opportunity in this episode. But in addition to that, he talks about his 30 plus years of experience in the fitness industry that have led him to building his own business through Alloy Personal Training. Uh, trying a lot of different approaches to that business and ultimately getting it to the point where he's been incredibly successful with it. And now he's creating the opportunity for other investors, other entrepreneurs to 
learn from his 30 plus years of experience and leverage the franchise opportunity that he's created with alloy personal training. Rick is an absolute expert when it comes to all things fitness. Uh, he's an international speaker. He sat on advisory boards of fitness brands that you would absolutely recognize the name of. Rick's been a personal trainer himself to celebrities who you would absolutely recognize the name of. And he, he talks a little bit about some of that in this episode. So, you know, Rick is a guy that has absolutely immersed himself in the fitness industry. It's been his business and his passion for his entire life. And he's now created an amazing franchise opportunity where other people have the chance to leverage everything that he's learned and everything that he's built and start their own alloy personal training franchise. So a lot of good information here. Rick's a great guy. I think you'll enjoy the conversation and no doubt you'll get a lot of value from everything that he shares. So with that, let's go ahead and drop in with Rick Mayo. All right. What's up P2F listeners. Very excited to be here with Rick Mayo today. So I, so I had a chance to meet Rick in person last week, or at least at the time of recording this, I'd heard a lot about Rick. I'd heard some of his story, but when you meet this dude in person, he's the real deal. Um, so I'm excited to have him here on the podcast to share his story, share a little bit about the franchise opportunity that he's created. Um, so with that, Rick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for dropping in with us. How are you today? No, man, I'm great. Listen, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me on. And I look forward to discussing all things alloy and entrepreneurship and whatever else you want to talk about. You know, you know me, I can talk a lot. So we could keep this thing going as long as we want. Yeah, likewise, man. And and uh, fortunately, I've got nothing else scheduled for like the next couple of hours. So, you know, this this might <laughs> turn into it. like a like a two part uh episode this will be or a, a joe rogan length podcast right here three yeah. hours right yeah exactly right and i've got some whiskey sitting right back here i know we joked about that but do it um <laughs> we'll see where it takes us uh so so you mentioned alloy right so so that's mm -hmm. your business today alloy personal training uh you've recently started franchising it so you know give us a, a real quick overview of you know where you're at today with the business and then I want to talk a little bit about how you got to this point, because you've got a fascinating story. Um, so I want to make sure the audience gets a sense of that, because I think that's context that really, really sets the stage for, you know, why you're in a position to be franchising the business and, you know, providing support and guidance to other, you know, entrepreneurs that are, are getting into the Alloy franchise. So give us a give us a quick snapshot of what Alloy is today. Uh, we'll dive into to more of it later, um, but but tell us kind of where you are today and then want to hear about how you got here. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, currently we are franchising our concept. It's called Alloy Personal Training. So, obviously, it's based on personal training, and it's a little bit different in the sense that there's a lot of fitness in franchising. Is anyone that's that's listening to this and knows about franchising, it's a little bit like food. There's a lot of fitness in franchising, lots of different concepts. Yep. Um, the great news is for us is that we sit sort of in, a, in an area of fitness that's a little bit underserved. So let's just take general fitness where you've got big health clubs where you pay a base membership. That's one type of fitness. Yep. Then you look at like what we call boutique fitness. And mm -hmm. of course, you understand that, but just imagine a smaller footprint, more specific, right? Yep. In boutique fitness, there's even a range within that realm where on one end of the spectrum, you've got a lot of class-based concepts. And when I say that, I mean, 
15 to 30 people getting sweaty in a room is typically, yeah. you know, metabolic. It might be driven by heart rate, you know, something like that. And, and yep. I'm speaking to that through the lens of the consumer, right? Yeah, the end sure. user. On the other end of the spectrum, you have what would be one-on-one or one-to-one personal training. So private personal training, which is typically pretty expensive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, again, 80, 70, 80, $60 a session, whatever that may be. Yep. And then each person that's in the room, they have a coach in front of them. So what we've done, because we've been in business 30 years, and I know we're going to get to a little bit of our history, is we figured out a way to take personal training and chase the same avatar that would buy one-on-one training, but offer them a better value proposition by training six people with one coach. Okay. And we, we have technology and other things that are built into that to make that so that we can keep that brand promise of personal training. But by training more than just one person with a coach, the price threshold is a bit less. So we can be a great value proposition to that customer avatar. And it's also a more scalable business model. So, you know, whereas the one-on-one training, the margins in that business are pretty small, the margins in a six-to-one personal training model are much more compelling. So that's what we're doing right now. We're relatively new. As you know, we started franchising right at the start of 2020. Not a great time to open a fitness franchise. Um, (laughs) But we're off and running and sales have been great, you know, so we've done 30 odd, 30 or so just this year, we're we'll probably wow. at 40 here in the next month or so, got six open and the validation's going fantastic. So, so far, so good. It's early innings, but so far, so good. Yeah, well, it really is an interesting concept and, and you know, just want to highlight a couple things you said. Yeah, there, there's no shortage of fitness concepts, but fitness is a very broad, you know, term or, or category, right? Underneath the fitness category, you've got a lot of different options. And, and I think, you know, one thing that we've seen, you would know better than I would, but one thing we've seen over the last 10 or 15 years is a lot of consumers for fitness have figured out that they want to specialize, right. And they want the guidance that comes with whether it's a personal trainer or going, uh, you know, to a class, you know, in more of a boutique fitness setting versus just, you know, walking into a planet fitness and saying, Hey, I know what I'm going to do. It's leg day today. Like, let's get after it. I think people right. like the accountability that comes with, you know, being in some sort of a, a structured setting where they're getting that, that guidance. So you guys really are kind of taking a lot of what people like both on the consumer side, as well as the ownership side of these boutique fitness concepts. And, and for those not familiar with the term, you know, think yoga, think Pilates, think cycling, you know, anything where it's kind of a specialized service, but you are going in, it's a larger group, you've probably got one instructor, you know, leading it. So you guys are kind of blending a lot of what what people like about that, with more of that personalized approach, which, as you said, you know, if you're the consumer, and you've got, you know, a personal trainer one on one, that's expensive, especially if you're trying to stay regular with them, right? Multiple sessions a week, it's going to add up. Um, so I, I, I like that a lot, right? Because it is kind of an underserved market. I think you guys have, mm-hmm. have carved out a nice niche. So, so tell us a little bit more about how you got to this point. Cause one thing I want to make sure the audience understands is, you know, you mentioned you guys just started franchising in 2020, but you are not new to the fitness industry at all. You have years and years of experience uh, that has led to this point that puts you in a position to know how to run a fitness business and know how to teach other people to do it as well. 
Yeah, so we do. And I think we, you know, at least from what I've learned thus far, we've approached franchising, like you mentioned, Wes, like from a different perspective, right? So uh, we have been in business for 30 years. So we opened our original, you know, personal training gym in 1992. Now, back then we were one-on-one training. So it yeah. took us a while to evolve that into learning how to train multiple people. So in 1992, you know, personal training wasn't even really an industry. I mean, if you can even imagine a world where there was no internet, right? It sounds so ridiculous right now, but that yeah. was the world, right? And, uh, you know, sort of our accounting procedures and all the things we did were just completely different, but it was good to be first. It's always good to be first in a market. And so we were the first ever uh, brick and mortar facility, certainly in Atlanta, that was dedicated to just personal training. And it really came from me, like I was paying my way through college, I was bouncing around to different people's homes, you know, working at a couple of different health clubs. And I literally at those health clubs had to introduce them to what a personal trainer was, go in, do you mind if I work here? They're like, what do you do again? I'm like, well, we like, you know, we count reps and we hold people accountable. And they were like, yeah, yeah, just don't bother us. You know, it was like not even seen as a, as a real thing, you know? And then if you told other people that you were a personal trainer, it was almost like having a tennis pro in the eighties where, you know, all the ladies would kind of be like, Ooh, you know, raise their eyebrows. I'm like, Oh, here we go. Yeah. Wow. Look at you. You know, that type of idea, but we cobbled it together and I was making a pretty nice living while paying my way through college. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool to take the experience of personal training, put four walls around it, right? And then we can create a full immersive customer experience where we could do towel service and like we're only doing this particular service. Mm-hmm. And that was the birth of our original, you know, studio in 1992 when I was a junior in college. It was like, all right, well, let's make a run at this thing, right? Yeah. Recruited a few of my friends in. And they all, you know, came in and they had their specialty. Like this person was good with athletes, this person's good with older people, this person's great with fat loss, that kind of idea. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and somewhere between 92 and 98, you know, we, we doubled our space and things were going really well. And we landed on this really compelling model and we were doing great. But that being said, you know, I had independent contracted trainers, which at the time you could actually do, right? Yeah. I wasn't really running a tight ship as far as a business, but we had landed on a service that people were willing to pay for. And we were making great money. Well, 98 rolled around and we were poised to just do this obscene amount of revenue. And, you know, I had a couple of my guys look at me and they thought, you know, you know, that this can't be that difficult. We're going to go and open our own personal training center. Ah. I think that's the fear of a lot of people that we currently talk to in franchising, right? Yeah. Um, you know, will my, will my rock star operators or coaches like you know, hold me hostage or will they leave me, you know, hanging yeah. in the lurch with all these customers, right? And that is exactly what happened to me. And so when, after it happened, our revenues went from, you know, really high revenue to not a lot. Now, during this time between 92 and 98, I also got married, had kids, had a mortgage, you know, it's like I had a real life. This was like my career move, right? Yeah. A few, and few other things sudden, going on, right? A few other things to take care of other than just me. And so, you know, it was one of those um, eye-opening moments where we thought, well, you know, we're either going to, I'm either going to have to get a real job, right? And I can't wear sweatpants to work every day, or I'm going to have to pull up my bootstraps and figure out a better way to do this. And I really loved what we did. I love the help that we could offer our community. And um, it was just a fun environment. Fitness is great. It's, it's a, it's a very gratifying, you know, career. And I'm like, all right, I want to stay in this. So it was like, all right, well, how do we do this better? And so what we ended up doing was systemizing literally everything in our business. And it started with like, the easy part, like the workouts, like what happens when Wes comes to my gym and he has a knee injury, but he wants these goals and we mm-hmm. would build these, if this, then that algorithms, right? Wow. Yeah. And then we're controlling the experience instead of just handing them off to this rockstar coach, 
and letting them build a system in my business, sometimes mm -hmm. at the expense of my business. Yeah. It was more like, we'll own the whole thing, right? Soup to nuts. And then that manifested itself in, in sales systems, marketing systems, how we say hello, goodbye, how we run a session. I mean, literally everything in the system. So it took us a few years to scratch our way back. And in that process, we learned that, you know, if people can work out together, it started out with like you and a friend, as an example, you guys mm -hmm. would pay a little less, the gym would make a little more for the hour, mm -hmm. pay the coach a little more, you're having more fun. It was like a real win-win. And we thought, okay, that's where personal training is headed. So we pivoted to, you know, training people in this small group setting that ended up landing us in a few years of scratching our way back from a near, you know, nearly going out of business. Um, which as you, as you think about it, that, that one hiccup became the impetus for the systems built that then later became a full on franchise. So yeah, absolutely. Like a horrible event was actually, uh, you know, one of the best things that ever happened to us in hindsight. So, you know, fast forward to a couple of years, we recovered. Now we're sitting on this really interesting model and we're one of the highest revenue per square foot you know, facilities in the country. Wow. And so because of that puts me on the radar, I'm doing speaking engagements. We're doing a lot of consulting. And then we have other brands then starting to approach us and say, can we buy your sales system? Can you teach us how to write these workouts? Can we do this? Can we do that? And that ended up being the birth of what it's an interchangeable term with franchising. We called it our licensing business. Yeah. Really what it was is imagine like we're powering another brand as a white label. Yeah. So we don't have our, we don't have the alloy brand on the front door, but we're powering other gyms in how to deploy sale, uh, sell and service personal training services, period. Yeah. A lot of them were doing it to drive their average ticket up, you know, for mm -hmm. each member, like spend per member would go higher. I mean, I mean, in every kind of brand West from like a, from a low cost $9 gym that had 17, 18,000 members to a CrossFit facility and everything in between. And so then we ended up doing the same thing with very big franchise brands. So anytime fitness, which is not oh, wow. just okay. fitness wise, one of the largest franchises in the world. Right. So we engaged with them for five years and we deployed coaching you know, uh, systems into their, into their franchise. And it put me on their advisory board. So here I'm sitting on the advisory board for the, one of the biggest franchises in the world. Right. Same thing for gold's gym. And so that gave us a unique perspective and a peek under the covers at how franchising works. Yeah. Right how yep. to deploy something and make it work, you know, operationalize it in a franchise structure. So it kind of gave us a massive cheat sheet and getting paid while we did it. Right. There you go. So then yeah. eventually um, decide that when boutique fitness, which were like clubs like us, so to speak, were coming to us and they were franchised brands and they were saying, can you build our sales system? Can you write our workouts? Can you, can you teach us this induction system, whatever the things that they needed and we looked at each other and said, you know what, if we're going to work with boutique fitness in this capacity, we should just do our own franchise. So to your point, it was 30 years of trial and error, right? 15 years of 2,500 clubs that we're working with everywhere from Tasmania to Cyprus to India to wow. Dubai. I mean, you name it. And we really could learn where's their gaps in the market, what's actually scalable and what's not, right? And so with all that knowledge and all that experience, that gave us a unique lens on getting to franchising and saying, okay, there's a clear gap in the market here and we have a relevant offering for that gap. And so that, yeah, it's a, that's how we came to it. So it wasn't a, you know, it's what a 30 year overnight success and uh, we're just getting started as an emerging franchise. But, you know, when you hear the story, I hope it makes people feel more confident. Like we've been at it for a long time and the biggest franchises in the world were hiring us to do something very similar to what we're now putting into market on our own. Yeah, it's it's so 
key to, to understanding that. Right. And, and this is why I love these types of conversations um, because like, like for me as a, as a franchise consultant, I'm introducing people to franchise companies. Like I, I need to know these backstories because it, it can make or break someone being willing to take a look at, at something like alloy or them saying, now nah, it's, it's too new. Uh, I wouldn't look at it. Right. Because you, you guys as a franchise organization are very much an emerging franchise at this point. Right. That scares the hell out of a lot of people. Right. They're like, oh, mm -hmm. that's too new. They don't have the track record. There's not enough existing franchisees. They haven't been in business long enough. All valid points to an extent. Right. And this is where I really spend some time educating the people I work with. I'm like, look, there's there's emerging franchises out there. Right. Where it's truly emerging, meaning, you know, the the founder doesn't have 30 years of experience. Um putting the systems and processes together, getting all the insights that you've had in the industry, working with all these different organizations. So, so the, the point is there are definitely emerging franchises that, that are very risky, right? On the flip side of that, there are emerging franchises that are not nearly as risky as it may seem at first glance and can present phenomenal opportunities for the early adopters, right? I mean, think about the the early adopters for like an Orange Theory uh, fitness franchise. And, and then they went on to own like 15 or 20 units. And now they've probably been bought out by private equity. And, you know, they own an island yep. or something somewhere. Right. So yeah, there, I, know, there's a, I know a ton of those guys. So I bet. 100%, yep. Yeah. So so, you know, you, you take the the 30 year foundation, right, that, that you've built to get to the point of franchising alloy personal training. Um, not that there's no risk, right? There's always risk involved in going into business, whether it's a franchise or not, regardless of how mature or how tenured the, the franchise business is, there's always risk. But um, I think understanding the the backstory of everything that went into to getting to a point of you saying, why don't we just do this ourselves? We've been teaching other big brands, you know, how to do this. Let's let's just do it ourselves. One thing I wanted to, to have you hit on before we move away to some of your background, you're, you're probably kind of, kind of modest. So I'm going to make you talk about this, but I mean, you've, <laughs> you've trained like some, some big names that everyone listening to this podcast would recognize, right? A hundred percent. So, you know, it's kind of the thing we use now as a joke. When we first started personal training, it was like, it was brand new to Atlanta. And it was one of the things that it was almost seen as like the rich and famous would do it, right? It was like the cutting edge of like fitness. Um, yeah. And so again, being first in Atlanta, there were people that would come to Atlanta and they would stay here for whatever reason. There were some really famous hotels here and we would get connected with some of these Hollywood stars. And one of those relationships led to me, you know, again, training Madonna, which is again, she's old. So to anyone younger, they're probably like, <laughs> who's Madonna, right? But if you're in the customer avatar that we service, they're like, no way, I love her, right? Because she was hot when I was when I was of that age. And, uh, you know, she was a big name. And then in Atlanta, it's a big R&B city. So like yeah. Usher, right, being a client. And there's a music producer named L.A. Reed, and he produced all these like people in the 80s and 90s in like pop music and R&B. He was a customer. And actually, of course, there's so many sad stories on all these things. But oh, I can I remember when... When L.A. Reed reached out to me, this is probably like 93. So we've been open for maybe six months and he's a music producer and he has these, you know, these groups of 
folks that he's working with. One of them, I think the one that came in with him was Pebbles. And she sang that old song, Do You Want to Ride My Mercedes, right? Like an old yeah. cheesy 80s pop song. But he's I like, hey, we have a photo shoot coming up on Friday. Now, mind you, it's like Tuesday, right? And he's like, we want to come into your gym and get ripped for the photo shoot. <laughs> well, it's like four days, right? So I say, well, you know, Mr. Reed, you know, it's like, it's it's only a few days away. Like it takes longer than four days. I'm trying to give him my like, you know, trainer speak. I'm like, yeah, it might take a bit longer. And he just cuts me off in the middle of my whole dialogue. You know, he's like, ah, listen, listen, we'll rent your whole gym. You name the price, whatever it takes. I just want to get as good a shape as we can get in in four days. And of course I immediately, I'm thinking about, I'm like, come on in, man. We're going to get yeah. you ripped. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had so to give you that this- little disclaimer, but now that that's but done, if um, you're willing yeah, to come buy on. the whole gym for four days. I'll do it. So we literally like bring the guy in and it's like, I don't remember the prescription, like don't eat for four days, drink a bunch of water and, you know, yeah. eat some lettuce leaves and whatever we could do. But I mean, that was sort of what personal training was early on. And it was cool. I mean, it was fun and it was a great you know time for us to sort of build awareness around personal training. It was always fun to be the guy that was training all these famous people. But as you heard from the story, eventually that evolved into like people recognizing that having a coach and direction was yeah. and accountability was very, you know, was very, uh, impactful for you know reaching their goals and so then it's like all right well we need to you can't we can't charge a hundred dollars an hour which is a lot of money in 1993 right um that would be the equivalent of a couple hundred bucks an hour now probably but uh, we need to scale this thing and be able to bring it to the masses and the way to do that was to figure out how to train more than one person and still keep it personal training so it ended up evolving but yeah that was those are some good times for sure yeah, it, it's so fascinating, and, and I'm sure there's there's uh, countless stories that that you could tell um, from from that period of your life. But now, um, dude, I do want to say, and I, and I should say before we move on from this, that it, it's well known, I think, that Madonna did have a kid with her trainer, and I want everyone to know that that was <laughs> not me. Like he was, he was literally the guy after me. So (laughs) my wife hates this story, but I'm like, you know what, babe, it could have been me. If I didn't have my professional boundaries, that oldest daughter would be my child. She's like, Oh, she's so sick of the story. I get a kick out of it every time. So no, it's, it's a great story, right? Be like, you know, I trained Madonna, you know, Madonna had a kid with, with her trainer. Right. But it was right. the guy after me. So the guy so, after me could have been me, but that should tell you a lot about my professional boundaries. Just so the, the natural question that comes to my mind, though, is did she try with you? Look, man, a gentleman never <laughs> kisses and tells. I'm just going to let your audience decide for themselves. But I, yeah, we'll just fair, leave it at fair that. Fair enough. That? But, but for any of you uh, <laughs> not, not watching the podcast, you know, Rick's talking about being in business for 30 years. He looks like he's 38 or something. So uh, I don't, I don't, know I don't think he started the business when he was eight years old, but um, he, he's a walking <laughs> billboard for his own, for his own business. Um, that's you. hilarious. So, so, so let's talk more about the the franchise opportunity, right? I mean, you've already kind of distinguished what you guys are doing at Alloy compared to like the, the traditional personal training model, right? I mean, there's, there's Mm -hmm. no shortage of personal trainers out there that will show up to your house or meet you at the gym and and train you, you know, you guys were early in on this, but it's, it's fairly mainstream today, but it's not scalable, right? It's usually one person. They're limited by how much time, you know, they, they have to, to train their clients. So there's a pretty low ceiling in terms of how much an individual personal trainer can make over the course of a year. So, you know, talk to us a little bit more about the business model. And, and also, cause I'm imagining a lot of people listening or thinking, well, you know, personal training franchise sounds great. 
I'm not a trainer, so this is probably not for me. So let's go ahead and, and kind of hit that one dead on. What type of franchise owners are you looking for? Are you looking for, for fitness gurus that, that want to be in the fitness business or, or who's, who's actually the right fit to own an alloy franchise? Yeah, and that's a million-dollar question, right? And we get this question from candidates. But I want everyone to hear that you don't have to be a fitness guru to own an alloy. And I will tell you that internally, we would not have brought this opportunity to market if the only people that could purchase or be awarded an alloy and run it were already in the fitness business. I mean, I love personal trainers. It's kind of how I grew up. You know, it's been my only career that I've ever had. But I will say that if we were going to build a model that only personal trainers could own and run, that it was going to limit our growth. So we decided early on that if this thing is not scalable and it can't be run as a true absentee model, we're not bringing it to market. So we can accommodate certainly owner operators, and we've got a handful of those, but most of our candidates are buying multiple units and they're buying them as investments. Now, I will tell you that it's still better when you're playing golf with your friends and you're talking about your new investment that you've made, you know, do you want it to be, you know, we joked earlier about dirtier brands. Like it doesn't matter. Like if it doesn't make money, you shouldn't go to franchising. Let's just start with that. I think you and I agree on that, but once it makes money, it's like, what is it? Is it something that you're proud to own? And so even if you're not a fitness person, I think it's fun to be at the, at the club, you know, with your buddies or your girlfriends and you're talking about this new fitness franchise. Fitness is inherently more sexy. It's more fun. There's a very easy connection between doing good for your community, right? Mm. I mean, you're literally yep. changing lives and you get to put your hands on it and see it, right? Yep. So it's still more fun to be in the fitness business, even as an investor, than it is like septic tank cleaning or whatever that may be. I mean, both have their spot, yeah. but fitness is a bit sexier and more exciting. And it's got more energy and it just has an overall positive feel-good vibe about it. Well, and so people our, people get it too, not to cut you off, but like people get it. You're like, yeah, so I've, I've got this new, uh, you know, fitness, personal training franchise. People are like, okay, yeah. It was like the type of businesses we own. It's like, yeah, we have a business. We do custom pull-out shelving and people are like, huh, what? <laughs> what? You do what? It's like, never Wait, mind, what? don't worry about it. What do you do? Yeah, <laughs> Forget yeah, it. Yeah, no, 100%, <laughs> right? It's like 100%. And so... And I will say, and this is just as a side note, most of our most of our folks are investors. You know, we've got people that have done six, eight locations, right? And they believe in it as consumers, but they're not like the people that are out there standing under the tent or they're not really the face of the business. Like we go and we hire our operator and that person yep. is typically coming from a fitness background, but it's not the investor per se. Um, the investor is someone who, you know, obviously they have to financially qualify um, that goes without saying, but then beyond that, it has to be someone who understands that fitness is a vehicle for doing good in their community and for changing lives. And if their heart is there and it's a money-making, you know, um, project, then I think that's a win-win situation. And that's who we're getting to the table is people who they've been successful in other realms. They, they like fitness. They're either a fitness consumer or it's something that they can clearly understand how good it does sure. again in the community. And they want to invest in that. And of course, it's a compelling offer financially as well. So you put those two things together and it, it works really well. So 100%, they don't have to be fit. I would say that they certainly have to, to value the, you know, what the, the end product is or the service. Like, what does the service do for my community? If, they, if you're interested in that, I think that's important, right? Because if you have that sort of service-based heart, then you're going to coach that to your team 
Like we're going to coach it to our franchisees, investors or not. But if you're an investor and you're hiring operators, you have to, you know, if you're a transactional guy that's right off of Wall Street and everything's numbers, right? You're probably going to struggle to attract talent that had because fitness people are intrinsically motivated. And we've yeah. got a very relevant offer financially, but you're really going to attract people that want to help people and they love that job. And so it's not, it is transactional to an extent, but it's also relational and it's also intrinsically motivated. So if the uh, franchise investor sees the financial opportunity, but also has a heart for service, leadership, and helping their community, we're going to be solid. That's who, really who we're looking for. Yeah, which which makes total sense. And and so I'm I'm glad you kind of walked us through that because I, I first just wanted to, you know, kind of dispel any, uh, you know, notions that for anyone listening, right, that, you know, hey, I'm I'm not a personal trainer. So this is not not an opportunity that could make sense for me. I mean, if you really look into the fitness sector within franchising, that's that's most of what you see, right, is investors. And, and you know, to your point, you've got to understand the value, right? You've got to understand that, hey, you know, I like the idea of being in a business where I can, you know, genuinely see that I'm helping people in the communities that we serve. And, and it's, you know, for their overall well-being. But, you know, it's one of the big Pilates franchises, right? I, I think I'd heard at one point that like 70% of the owners are, are guys, right? Probably never done Pilates in their life, never will do Pilates uh, in their life, but they get it, right? It's a, there's a, a service that's in high demand. It's, it's adding value to the clients, but it's a good investment opportunity, multiple units. But yeah, you're, you're looking any of these kind of multi-unit, more investment, you know, call it semi-absentee, whatever you want to call it, opportunities. I think the one thing that's that's critical for, for the franchise owner in order to be successful is they've got to have the experience, the know-how, and the desire to, to build a good team and to lead that team, right? It, it all comes down to culture, right? Um, you know, it doesn't mean they've got to be in there repping out push-ups with their trainers every day, but you've got to set the tone for, you know, that general manager, the, the managers underneath them, the trainers underneath them. And, and then obviously you just, you need the business acumen where you can kind of manage the big picture and, and strategically make sure the business continues to grow. Um, so that's great. Talk to us a little bit about the, the model itself. So this is a brick and mortar, you know, you've got a physical location, clients are coming to you. Walk us kind of through how the, the business model structured. What does it look like? you know, when, when a new location is just opening and then what does it look like kind of at, at capacity? Sure. So it's a small footprint. So it's 1500 to 2000 square feet. That's, that's usually one retail bay in most shopping centers. We're putting yeah. them in nice areas. So we've done a lot of, of really relevant deep work on our customer archetypes. So, you know, like as an example, one of them is a mover shaker, right? This would be like a successful entrepreneur. By the way, we're targeting, because the price threshold for personal training is a bit higher, it pushes us into an, an age category that's very underserviced in fitness, which is 45 to 65 is kind of our core customer okay. with money. And if you look at that, that's 70% of the nation's disposable income lives in this age bracket, right? And only 5% of fitness marketing dollars are spent here. And the reason is most people that's market crazy. too old. Like, I mean, I'm 52. Like, I don't want to go to some silver fit, you know, <laughs> 
silver fox fit silver sneakers <laughs> silver sneakers you know silver fox and fit or something I'm like what no like i want to think at least that i'm like i'm smart enough to know that i want to go some do some ridiculous crossfit workout because i might have to like play golf tomorrow or something but at the same time i'm not like an old guy either in my mind and i don't care how old you are everyone thinks the next age up is old and they're not right yeah and so the key is Going after that customer avatar, um, they're typically successful. They're smarter than the average bear. They've got, it's, it's very funny. It's like our franchise candidate for a franchise uh, franchisee is the same avatar as our customer candidate. So a lot of times when we're speaking to potential franchisees, they get it because they are that person, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so they're sitting there as like a late forties who's saved some money and wants to make a move out of corporate or something, or, or just looking for investment opportunities. And they're like, you know what? You're right. There is no fitness concept that speaks to me exactly. Yeah. You know, the, yep. I tried this one thing and I went to this class and it was like, eh, they're sort of just sort of displaced. Right. And so when you bring that, that relevant, um, you know, offering to this market, it speaks right to them. And obviously that speaks to like a real estate play, all of our marketing materials from the creative to the actual content itself. Um, I mean, there's so much goes into identifying this customer. And then as you know, where you put it and then who runs it, those are the two keys in really making it successful. And so we've got all of all that bandwidth, but yeah, so small footprint, 1500 square feet. Um, it's one coach in the building at any given time training six people. So it's one to six ratio, the technology that we have. So imagine the technology where, you know, a coach comes into the gym, and they open the iPad and it populates based on the schedule. And you've got six tiles of the people that you're working with. So it says, okay. here's Wes, here's his level of fitness, his do's and his don'ts. And if I touch on that tile, it'll expand and show me more detail about you. Wow. Touch on it again, it disappears. Now, that's who you are. Now, over here, I have a program. And the program is, comes from the tip of the spear strength and conditioning. Like I'm on these speaking circuits where I'm the business guy, but everybody else on my speaking circuit is like, strength coach of the Yankees, strength coach of the Panthers. It's like tip of the spear strength conditioning for athletics. We just, for lack of better terms, dumb it down and make it, you know, uh, operational for regular adults. So it's yeah, basically, you're, just... we're training everyone like an athlete. We just have to regress it to the point where a 70 year old guy that's in bad shape with a bad shoulder can still come in and do it. Right. Yeah. So that what allows us to do that is here's the customer, here's the program. And there's all these algorithms that are automatically saying if this and that oh you have a bad back okay we go here oh your shoulder hurts okay so we're going to go over here and then all the coaches have to do is connect the dots and the technology drives it so what that makes it Wes is scalable so when we get you know potential franchisees they're like where do we find talent do we have to find you know people with an exercise science degree that are certified trainers I'm like no we're huge proponents of hire the athlete and in this case the kiss the athlete is like Great energy, looks the part, fun to be around, and can manage a couple of different things at one time, right? Moving right. around. Great, check. And then, you know, teach the skill. And teach the skill is what the franchise does, right? We give you the program. We give you the, the algorithms that tells you if this, then that. And so a coach can come in, pull up the iPad. Here's my group. Here's the workout itself. Here's how to apply this at different levels and around injuries to these to this group of people. So... Yeah, that's really what makes it hum is that is that technology. Yeah, that's that's key. And so I I because I was I was going to ask you about that, right? So you've got six people in a class; they're all generally doing the same workout, but it's tailored to their individual skill level, fitness level, things they can and can't do. So so the the coach is kind of or the trainer is kind of managing that. 
which is which is huge, right? Because again, look at most of these boutique fitness class based concepts. It's you go in, the class is the class, and and you do what you can do. You're not getting yeah. that level of of individual attention, right? If it's a spin class, it's like you go, you hop on the bike, and you know, hopefully you can make it through the whole thing. And if you need to take a break, you you take a break and people are looking yeah, it's at like, you come like try a free class. And if you like it, you like it. And where we're doing like a, the first session in our club is like a full induction. So we like peel the onion, get down to the core of why you're there and what you're trying to accomplish. And believe me, it's everything from a ski trip to hiking back to back days in the Alps to like hitting a golf ball further to losing weight for a class reunion. I mean, you name it. Right. But it's, it's specific to that individual. Yeah. So we do that. And then we measure the way people move. So we have this tangible movement screen. Because again, in our population, like being able to move well is a big predictor of how, of whether or not you're in pain, right? Mm -hmm. So if you do like to golf and you're headed to Scotland with some friends, and you're going to play 36 holes in a day, but it's going to wrench your back. Well, then let's figure out where these movement discrepancies are, right? And mm -hmm. again, this is a high level athletic tool used at the NFL combine, the NBA, special forces. It, Graham, wow. leave all that out there. Like clients maybe don't care about that. But what you should know is that science is getting trickled down into this adult fitness concept, right? Where we can run these high level scientific processes. It runs these algorithms and it tells then our coaches how to, to apply this, again, really well-built program that's based on what we need, but it's scalable. It can be regressed or progressed based on fitness levels and movement. And it just connects all the dots. So it takes like the highest level strength conditioning again, dumbs it down for lack of better terms, makes it applicable to adults. And what you end up with is a, is a brand where our average customer stays three years. What's interesting is the wow. average customer avatar or stay for a class-based concept is five months. Now, in our average spin, you know, we're getting up to 300 bucks. So do you want to be in a brand where your members stay for three years at $300? That's a $10,000 plus lifetime value, right? Or you could look at a class-based concept where it's five months at around $129 a month, national average, that's 650 bucks. I will tell you that the customer acquisition cost for the $650 person is the same as the $10,000 person. And the thing I like about that the most is if people are churning out every five months in a class-based concept, then you're basically a marketing and sales company that happens to service it with fitness. Whereas in Alloy, you get to be in the fitness business. So you talked about filling a facility up. Strong pre-sale will ramp you to nearly full during a pre-sale. So you're open making money, coast your way into a full gym. And then the attrition rate is only 3% a month. These are claimed, all this is claimed in our item 19. So if you're turning out 3% of 130 members, which is a healthy model for us, right? That's like three people a month. All you have to do is whisper to your membership that you might have an open spot and backfill it. So that ongoing marketing cost and all those, all that manpower to chase down leads, to mitigate churn or try to outgrow churn, all that goes away. So it's very unique in that, in that regard. And part of that is also small footprint, small tribe, yeah. right? All yeah. that stuff lends to like a stickier overall fitness experience. Yeah. It all makes such, such good sense to me. I mean, that, that customer acquisition cost going down over time, right? Because you've got that stickiness of the, the customer, they're coming back, they're staying for longer periods of time. That gives your franchise owners the ability to increase profit margins, I would imagine pretty significantly over time and then hold, right? Versus 
you know, with these these other concepts where you do see a lot of churn, it's probably going to be a lot more up and down. Right. Because, look, I don't care what the business is. One of your biggest variables that impacts your bottom line is going to be client acquisition cost. Right. How much does it cost you to keep another client? So, you know, you've got a recurring revenue model. It's a higher average ticket than most of the other concepts in, in the, the industry. Longer lifetime of a customer. It all makes sense. And you mentioned something earlier that I think is worth reiterating, and I'll probably get the numbers wrong, but I heard you say this last week too, and it really stuck out to me. What did you say? Like 70% of like the US population is kind of in this, this category that Alloy is catering to, yet I think you said like 5% of fitness marketing dollars are actually spent to try to get in front of this, this category. Yeah, hundred percent. So it's really, it's it, what it is, is this age bracket holds 70% of the nation's disposable income. Ah, okay. Yeah. So basically it's like, okay, if you're going to market any product, this, this age bracket, six, you know, 45, 65, that's 70% of the nation's disposable income lives in this age bracket. Again, only 5% of marketing dollars are spent there because people typically market too old. And so here's the way I would describe it to anybody listening. It's like, think about premium, not old, right? So let's use a luxury car as an example. Like if you want to buy a Porsche, like let's say you're buying a 911 turbo and I'm not a huge sports car guy, but let's just say that's probably a $170,000 car, something like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not, it's not like a Porsche 911 turbo is, is not relevant to a 28 year old. It is, it's a badass car, no matter what your age is. Right. Yeah. But if you ask Porsche who their average customer avatar is, it's by default going to be people that are the same as the alloy customer avatar because they've lived long enough to amass a little bit of wealth yeah. and buy a nice car. That's it. That's the only difference. It has nothing to do with like level of service or who prefers what. It's just targeting the price threshold of offering this high level of service of personal training does the same thing that a luxury car does, where it yeah. just sort of eliminates the lower ages in the market. It doesn't mean that we don't have the rare, you know, couple that are both 28 or young professionals who are crushing it. And they love it because the programming is athletic in nature. And it's like, you know, a couple of volleyball players that just came out of college that played ball, you know, together and now they're gainfully employed. They don't have any kids yet. And it's like, great. You know, they can afford it. They come in and they're like, damn, this is exactly the kind of stuff we did when we played college volleyball. Yeah. They still yeah. appreciate it. It's just not the main avatar because that age bracket typically isn't flush with people making the type of income that needs to afford $300 a month membership. Yeah, that's a that's a great point and, and a good distinguishment. It's not it's not that it only appeals to, to that demographic. It's just that that's that's typically who's but, in a position to, to pay for it. A hundred percent. Yeah. So so you, you talked a little bit earlier well, one, one thing I want to hit on before that. So, you know, you'd mentioned early into your, your career, building your business, you know, one of the things, one of the lessons you learned was you had some of your trainers leave thinking they could do it on their own. So I would imagine that, you know, the technology, the algorithms, the, the, if then, uh, if this, then that scenarios and the fact that your franchise owners are not having to go out and, and hire, you know, people with, uh, you know, necessarily like education, uh, you know, to be a trainer or, or um, I, I'm, I'm losing my, my 
track here on the terminology, but you don't need someone with like years and years of experience and education to come in and be a trainer for you. I would imagine that helps a lot with retention and, and puts a franchise owner position where they're not having to worry as much about, Hey, what happens if my, my core group of trainers decides to, to go do their own thing because you've made it easy for them. And, and I've seen this in other types of businesses too, where it's like a lot of people that, that are a trainer, that's what they want to do. They want to train people. They don't want to have to figure out, all right, how am I going to market the business? How am I going to do all the other business things that you need to, to be able to do to actually make money at the end of the day? So I just wanted to speak to that or have you speak to that because I, I imagine there are some people still wondering like, you know, what happens if, if my team walks out on me or, or if they try to hold me hostage? Yeah. And I think um, you could almost say that about any business, right? I'm sure yeah, like you talked definitely. about having a service-based business. It's like, well, if your manager whoever your general manager is or whatever that position is, is termed, if they leave, it kind of sucks. You got to replace them. You got to find someone else. That's no different in any business. And so I'm not sure Definitely. why like fitness is, is seen as like a lot different than that. It's really not. And here's what I'll tell you. Like, like you mentioned, like the thing that's driving it, like we're controlling the centralized programming. It's not written by the individual coaches in the gym, right? We have the technology. So all the communication and everything, whether it's lead follow-up, texting mechanism mechanisms our app all that stuff it's all proprietary to alloy all you know um sort of communications if you will between coach and client are happening in our native software so there's really it's really not there's not a chance for the coach necessarily to develop an exclusive relationship outside of the business and also the business has built in we systemized every soft touch thing you can imagine so you can imagine like we have something called seven core tenets of a great session. So when okay. comes in for, someone comes in for a personal training session, we're hitting these seven core tenets every single time, right? So we're even systemizing the soft touch things that make a coach better at making a technical workout come to life and feel like an amazing experience, right? When all that stuff is built out, it's so much easier for us to plug and play. It really is. And then the people that are in our businesses are wildly important. So don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying it's not catastrophic if we have someone leave because the system sure. is really what's propping it up and we can next man up and it, we have great profit margins in the business. So we're able to pay better than market rate, whether it's a part time trainer or our operator. You know, we have very compelling offers for those individuals. So typically they're being paid much better than they could in any other you know, uh, arena in the fitness space. So it's sticky in that way. Um, and the systems just allow them to, like you said, most of them just want to train. Yeah. What's interesting about fitness, and I just went through this conversation with a candidate this morning, and he's going to do multiples, but he was wondering the same thing. He's like, well, where do I find these people? And of course, you know, he's a numbers guy. So he's thinking like everything is transactional, right? And it's like, well, it is to a certain degree, but you've probably heard this. Like once you get to a certain threshold of income, anything beyond that doesn't you know, necessarily increase your happiness. Right. Yeah. So yeah. if we can offer a better than industry average comp structure because of profitability for the operator and the part time trainers, it's sometimes hard for a hardcore numbers guy to understand why someone would even want to do that job. Right. I'm like, well, there's people who love it like they're they are called to stand out on that floor and change people's lives. And if you can pay them better than industry average to do that, you're going to have no you know, yeah. it's not going to be difficult to attract talent at all. It's not. Just because, you know, you've been on Wall Street for 10 years and you, you that's not you, that yeah. doesn't mean that those people aren't out there, to your point. And they're uh, really, they don't want to do marketing and they don't want to do payroll and they don't want to do those things. 
that's where the franchise and the operator or the uh, investor gives the operator bandwidth. So they can go just be a rock star head coach, make more money than they ever thought was possible and be part of something bigger than themselves. And there's a ton of people out there that want that. No doubt. It's, I, I'm sure it's a lifestyle thing too, right? These are the people that want to come to come to work and, and work out stuff that, you know, they're, they're doing this. It sounds like part-time. I mean, it doesn't sound like this is a 40 hour a week, nine to five, you know, gig for most of these trainers. So it's given them the time to do the other things that, that they want to do uh, while still making good money above industry average. So that all, that all adds up uh, for sure. Um, you talked about pre-sales earlier and I don't want you to give away any, any secret sauce or anything, but I, I think that's another way that, that alloy is, is poised to really, really help their franchise owners, right. Versus, Hey, I'm going to, you know, I like the idea of being in the personal training industry. So I'm going to go do this on my own. You guys, I mean, you shared some stuff with us last week that that blew my mind in terms of, you know, number of clients that a new franchisee is is opening their doors with. Um, give us give, just give us a little more insight into like when you've got a franchisee preparing to open their their location. What are you guys doing um, to, to help them get clients before they're even officially launched? Yep. So we, first of all, we're asking them to open with 75 clients. Now in most markets we're breaking, you know, we're, we're in the black in the mid sixties client number, right? Wow. Not all markets, but in most that we've gone into so far. So if we're asking you to open at 75, that means that we're getting you to profitability before you open the doors. Now we've been cracking a hundred, you know, we're batting a thousand on that so far with the last few being nearly completely full. And so what are we doing to do that? Well, we have a marketing play. And so again, we've got this archetype of this customer nailed. So it's like, well, that means all the creative for the digital ads is all built out. So we're going into a full on launch of a digital strategy that lasts, you know, the pre-sales two months and would carry it over for another month if needed into the, into the grand opening of the club. Okay. So about half of the spend and effort is going to be spent on digital and the other half is going to be spent on community. And so what I mean by that is like, you know, flyers and there's a tent and a tent skirt, you know, a table skirt with a tent and hand, you know, and uh, door hangers and car window flyers. And just, I mean, it's the four letter word, it's like Grass work, roots. right? Grassroots. And so we've got about a 50, 50 split, but we've made it about as simple as possible. So imagine you're on the alloy platform and you're like, Click here for your pre-sale package, bam, and everything's coming to you. Okay, got it, right? Okay, here's our digital uh, marketing vendor who has everything already built out for the pre-sale. All you have to do is engage with them. We're going to build your social media pages for you, and they're going to start. You're off and running. And then on the back end of that, we have all the automated software already built out with all the messaging and everything already done. It's just yeah. waiting in a sandbox. So a Facebook lead comes flying in. Someone's like, hey, I'm interested bam, all the automation starts and you're taking them from one, you know, one lead channel to another as they work their way through the process. So much so that we can then go back through pre-sale and say, wow, this particular, say, Facebook ad, as an example, led to our highest paying clients. So it had our highest ROI and it continues to do that over the lifetime value of the customer. That's how we know, like, what is our you know, lifetime value? Where, where is our ad dollar when we're split testing ads? Where is it best spent? And not only what does that result in in closing the client, but which of those clients ends up being the most valuable down the road, right? Yeah. That's important to our model. All that stuff's done. And I'm not trying to oversimplify. You still got to get out there and work hard. 
but it's like, imagine taking like your marketing spend and we set an expectation of what that marketing spend should be sure, to which get is standard. to this number. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And half of it's going to be spent digitally and the other half is going to be spent on just community outreach and the manpower to get out there and do so. We're doing a weekly coaching call during pre-sales. We're giving key performance indicators or KPIs for each member on the team each week. So everybody's got their marching orders for what they're supposed to accomplish. We're sharing a common dashboard, by the way. So when we get on these weekly coaching calls during pre-sale, because it's critical, franchise business coaches looking at the same dashboard. They're looking at your dashboard yeah. saying, hey, we can, we're recording phone calls. We're looking at all the text messages. So we can drill down and say like, hey, this step to this step, we're being a little bit too wordy. Remember to follow those scripts. Or like, mm -hmm. hey, we might listen to a phone call interaction and say, hey, let's tweak these few things. So all the technology and all those things just make it much easier to coach these folks. But yeah, it's a turnkey. It's a turnkey play. Digital, grassroots, all hands on deck. I, I think that's the key is is turnkey, right? Because you guys have this dialed in, and th and this is how franchising should be done. It's not not always done like this, right? But this is where so much of the value in a franchise is. You're giving your franchise owners the ability to run so much faster, right? I mean, you're talking about being cash flow positive the the day they open their doors. That's huge, right? Versus, hey, I'm going to go do this thing on my own and you're going to open and you're going to easily spend six to 12 months figuring out who's my avatar, what messages resonate with them. Oh, you know, our branding's not good. So let's tweak that a little bit. You know, where are we going to get in front of these people? I mean, there's so much trial and error that goes into that. I mean, I'm sure you know, this is years, years in the making for you yeah. guys, right? For a franchisee to be able to tap into that immediately. And that's where, you know, I, I talk to people all the time, right? Some of them really understand franchising. Some of them, you know, don't understand it as much like, so, you know, Wes, why, why do I want to pay like a big fat franchise fee up front? And then they're going to get a percentage of my revenue going forward. And I'm like, because if it's done right, uh, you're getting so much value for that fee up front, you know, you're going to recoup that very, very quickly. And, and yeah. again, if it's done right, those ongoing fees, you're getting more value in exchange for those fees where it's, it's offsetting it. You should be coming out net better after the fees. That's where it makes sense. You guys have clearly, you know, built a, a system that is doing that for your franchisees. Um, very exciting. Yeah. And let me touch on that real yeah. quick. Cause just because I know yeah. we'll move on because you're asking great questions, but to your point, savvy investors understand the value and have a system, right? That's why you get maybe a better multiple on EBITDA when you go to sell a franchise structure than you do if it's, you know, Wes's gym as an example, because they know it's yep. some entrepreneurial brain fart that you had. And hopefully <laughs> they can take over and run it without you. But when someone understands somebody else is powering it, so case in point, like I've got a buddy that's in the industry and he is a personal trainer. He owns his own place and he has a client that wants to invest in him. And he reached out to me recently and he's like, hey, man, um, I want to I want to loop my investor in on the franchise. So I was like, OK. And it was odd because he owns his own place. And he said, because, um, you know, I have a I have a client that wants to invest in me. But he told me he won't just invest in me that I need to go find a franchise <laughs> that we can invest in. So he's like, I was a little bit, my feelings were hurt a little bit because he's basically saying, oh, sure, I'll help you invest, but you got to go find us a franchise. But that's a sad, that's a smart move, right? That's, that's the winner's move. That's the, that's the investor's lens on like, I love you, man, 
but I'm not investing in your crazy squirrel brain. Go get me a franchise so I can buy something that's going to have value down the road, especially if you run off to Tahiti with your new girlfriend or whatever. Exactly, that's, right? right? That's, that's so the that, thing. And then, um, yeah, no, 100%. And then uh, another guy that's a buddy of mine, just one other example, and he sold his gym a while back. And then, you know, we started talking about the alloy opportunity. He's like, yeah, I think I'm going to invest. So he's the investor. He's got an operator. And as we're going through the process, everything from, again, real estate to construction vendors to, you know, I mean, and it, you imagine like permitting and just all the little things that people discount. He had been through it as an individual. Now he's going through it as an alloy franchisee. And I mean, he must text me once a week. He's like, holy crap, dude, where was this shit when you and I got started? Right. Yeah. And we're yeah. laughing. He's like, I don't know why anybody would do it any other way. So it's sort of funny. Like, here's a guy who did it on his own sold it and now is going through the franchise process who's just blown away by the bandwidth that he gets and says i don't know why anybody would ever do this any other way i'm like there you those, go those 100%. are the people that that it really resonates with i've i've found right, right. Is the the people that have done it all themselves before and they know how fucking hard it is and then yes, exactly <laughs> and they know how many mistakes they made and how much money and time they wasted trying to figure it all out those are the people that when they see it, when it's being done right, it's it's a no brainer. They're like, oh, seriously, like I would have probably paid you twice as much in royalties. But you that's know, what we'll, he we'll said. Keep he it goes, where I don't it know is. why you just don't charge more. Like <laughs> and of course, his operators like, you know, and they're working. He's like, no, no, no. You do exactly what they say. You have no idea oh, yeah. the advantage that you don't, have right now based on how I did this earlier on. <laughs> don't you even veer off the, the system. Exactly. Man. That, Exactly. Uh, we've, we've got a GM in, in one of our franchises and, you know, so we're, we're fairly hands off, you know, we, we manage him, he runs the day to day and, and, you know, he's, he's never had his own business before. Right. Sharp, sharp guy, but there's been a couple times where he's kind of, you know, had the, Oh, I know better mentality. And, and I will kind of grab him by the shirt and I'm like, no, you don't follow, <laughs> follow the system. Do Just what they say the to system. do. Yeah. Well, um, and I think what you have to understand is how much time and energy. And of course, I know this now because I, you know, I've been an independent owner. Now I'm deploying a franchise. It's like, okay, we spend an inordinate in, in amount of time trying to figure out the best processes and the best practices. And all we want to do is win. I mean, we're on a royalty, so if you're not winning, we're not winning. And I like that alignment, right? Yeah. So to think that there's any reason to buck the system is just nuts. It's like we are spending a ton of time. Even things that that franchisees don't see, and I know you know this because you've been on, on both sides of it, but, you know, things that we're, we always say bullets before cannonballs where, you know, we have a finite amount of gunpowder and that might mean money or it might mean attention or whatever that yeah. is. And you don't just dump it all into, you know, your cannon when you see your enemy ship approaching because you might miss, right? The real, the real play is you put a little bit of gunpowder in a, in a gun, right, in a musket, and you shoot it out there. And, you, you know, you're always shooting it, the bullets before cannonballs, right? When you ping a yep. few off the hole, you're like, hey, there's something there. Then you take the rest of your gunpowder and you dump it in. So we use that analogy because in our franchise, we're constantly shooting bullets out, looking for like, could this piece of technology drive a better human experience, mm -hmm. right? Could this happen? Could this happen? So what franchisees just see is this all buttoned up thing, right? It's like, okay, it's been stress tested for years in our, in our corporate facilities, and keep in mind, while you don't see it right now, we are constantly firing bullets out, trying to find range on anything that could enhance your experience, your customer experience, sales, marketing, whatever that may be, right? And we're always doing that. And so those are the things that are going on always behind the scenes that I'm sure you, you're you aware of and you appreciate, but not all franchise candidates understand 
maybe how much goes into trying to make them successful, right? Yeah, and, and that's what you want your franchisor doing as a franchisee, right? You don't want them to get to a point where they they kind of settle and they say, hey, this, this model's pretty dialed in, like, you know, everyone's making good money, uh, so we're good. You know, you want the franchisor that's constantly looking at, at new ways to improve the client experience, new ways to drive more revenue. I mean, just constantly looking for ways to grow because that's what's going to help you maintain an edge. That's what's going to put your franchise owners in a position to keep growing their business. And, you know, to your point, franchising works so well because there is that mutual alignment between franchisor and franchisee. The franchisor is not doing well if the franchisees aren't doing well. And if franchisees don't see a pathway to continue growing their business, they're going to get frustrated and then they're going to talk to your candidates that are looking at the franchise and those candidates aren't going to get like a great feel about it. And your franchise sales and development efforts will, will slow down. So it's just this constant mutual alignment that makes it such a beautiful business model when it's done right. Um, and I, I would imagine, I mean, you're, you know, fairly early into the the evolution of your franchise I would imagine, you know, once you've got franchisees that are pretty well established in their businesses, you know, so they followed the system to to get to a place of success, you're probably happy when they come back with some feedback too and say, hey, you know, we've been thinking about this. What do you think? Have you guys ever tried this before? You know, we'd be interested in maybe piloting some sort of a new program, see if it works. If it does, you know, we can bring it back to the rest of the system. I always think that's that's a healthy dynamic to have with within a franchise organization as well, because a lot of times the franchise owners are the ones that are going to have some of those innovative ideas and, and be able to bring some 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 new uh New, new energy, I guess, in terms of how to operate the business. Yeah, hundred percent. We're certainly open to that. I think for us, it's just the, the lens is like, make sure you know why, right? Like if there's a why that something needs to change or be improved, make sure we know what that is. So just change for the sake of change. No bueno. But if it's change for the sake of moving forward and it's like, Hey, this is something I see that's really helping. It's enhancing customer experience or this rewards program is really going well, whatever those things are. We are all ears. And I love that. I mean, I think it's, you know, we're, we have the distinct advantage of, of still opening and still holding on to corporate locations. So we get to test things like programming as an example, like you're not getting programming from alloy corporate unless it's been tried on like real subjects. Right. Yeah. Like we jokingly refer to our, our core members as like lab rats because like we're trying <laughs> new things on them all the time, yeah. new equipment, like, Hey, you know, equipment manufacturers love to send us stuff, especially when we were running just the licensing business, because with 2,500 gyms, if we included a new piece of equipment, they're about to sell 2,500 new pieces of equipment oh, yeah. to all these gyms, right? So we still have all of those contacts vendor-wise, and they send us all kinds of wacky workout stuff and this new bench or this new band or this or that. And we look at all of it. We, we really do. But we'll try it first. Believe me, we try any and all things. But if it's, if it's great, you're going to get it. If it's terrible, you're never going to see it. And there's a reason why. So- that's just, you know, and I think a lot of franchises are doing that as well. So franchisees should know that like, look, man, bullets before cannonballs, we're constantly testing. Yeah, we'll get we'll take all the feedback we can. And if there's something relevant there, we'll grab it and run with it for sure. Yeah, I, I love it when franchisors, you know, have at least a handful of their own corporate operations as well, because it gives you that that platform to kind of, you know, try some new things and 
if you're going to roll it out, make sure it's, it's, you know, fully baked before you, you roll it out to the, the franchisees. And, and, you know, to the point from earlier, you want your franchisees to, to help you innovate after they're established, after they've followed the system and gotten to a, a place of success. I, I had a mentor one time tell me, I, I think I was transitioning to a new company to work for. And he said, when you get there, he said, just shut the hell up and listen for like 60 days. Like, don't, <laughs> Right. Don't, you know, start coming like, well, hey, what if we do this? What if we try this? Because like chances are, if you're saying that in the first 30 to 60 days, they've already tried it. And there's a reason that they're not. So just shut the hell up. Listen for 60 days after that, then start trying to like have some actual input. He's like, otherwise you may just be annoying. Um, <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> learn. It's like the, that's a mic. That's a mic drop statement right there, Wes. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's it. Yeah, that stuck with me. That was years and years ago, but that uh, that stuck with me for sure. So, you know, tell us, tell us. I know you've you've kind of alluded to this, but where is Alloy today? We're recording this in January of 2022. Um, where is Alloy today? How many franchisees uh, do you have? How many units open in development? Give us an idea of, of where where you're at today with it. Yeah, so we're just shy of 40 sold. That, that may change early next week. Um, six open. Validation's going really well so far. I think I'd mentioned a little bit at the at the uh, at the franchise at the franchise you know conference that you know we've had people that you know they open three hours from the city that they live in. You know they've only been there twice. They haven't talked to any new members. They hired their operator using our talent vendor acquisition you know person. You know the scripts that we kind of helped them create to to identify talent, powering talent sight unseen, only being in the city where they're opening twice and opening with a you know full gym. It's like I don't know how much more validation we can get. It, you know, that's what we're getting right now, which is great, and it's early innings, so we you know certainly we're we have a lot to prove, but it's been so far so good. So that's where we're sitting right now. Um, we have pretty lofty goals for this year, so you know we're looking at you know getting to a hundred in year one um so far it looks like we'll be able to do that um, yeah. and and you know early indicators are that we're really picking up steam and as you know you also have to do that with integrity so like we've got a, a franchise development company the repum group is who we're working with currently and they're they're doing great job of working in the consultant networks that's how you and i met mm -hmm. but i think for me i'm fanatical about you know operationalizing these clubs making them very successful that's what we've been doing with even different you know as a white label with all these brands that's that's really what we're good at franchise yeah. business is a business in and of itself so we've got a partner who can help us navigate the franchise sales you know business that side of it we're just going to keep doing what we've always done which is make clubs successful um, and if we can do that and keep validating, man, it's, it's going to be awesome. I, I think it's a beautiful match. Um, and, and first of all, I mean, in terms of like some of the stories you shared with us about some of your owners that are, that are opening up and I mean, definitely an investor type model, right? So I want to make sure that resonates with people. Um, this is a great multi-unit play. You know, you can end up with locations in you know multiple states you don't have to be in the same market so so great investor opportunity for sure uh still need the leadership abilities right build a team create the culture you know we hit on that earlier but it can be fairly yep. hands-off and we chatted about this before we started recording but you know a, a a problem i see in franchising today and i think COVID is has kind of led to this because there's more and more people that are looking for kind of these 
you know, fairly passive investment opportunities in franchising. And so there's a lot of companies that are like, yep, we're semi absentee. Yep. We're passive. And it's like, once you really understand what their, um, what their definition of semi absentee means, it's not, it's not at all what most people are actually looking for when they say they want something semi absentee. So, you know, you guys have a, a very unique opportunity, um, that, that, I think would be a great fit for a lot of people. Um, in, in terms of the the Repum Group, I wanted to point this out because a lot of people listening may not be familiar with that. Great partnership, right? Because they've got everything from not only decades of franchise experience and how to help you know young franchisors grow, but grow the right way, right? Because you don't want to grow too fast. Um, right. You want to make sure you've got the support in place for the franchisees that are coming in, but, you know, they help with site selection and, and, you know, the build out of these locations, you know, they're helping you out operationally on the back end. Very, very different from what most of the the franchise development firms out there do. Most of them help you sell them. And then they're like, good luck. hundred percent. I mean, that's, I always think, you know, it's just like in, in any company, there's always healthy friction, right? It's like, you've got sales and operations. And there's always, even if it's same, same company, even if it's a fortune 500 company, there should be a healthy friction between growth and integrity of the growth. Right. And the thing that we appreciated about these guys when we approached them is they had those things in place. And so, like you said, it's one thing to have somebody go out and just sell, sell the heck out of your, out of your concept. But if it just wrecks your business, which it can, if you're not Mm -hmm. strategic, right. Um, then you're not going to validate well, you're going to hurt a lot of people in the process and it's going to just tank long-term. So it was really important to me that we grew at a good pace, but also doing it with integrity. And the Repum Group sort of had that already, that even in our early talks, you could feel the healthy friction between sales and operations, right? Yeah. And that's kind of how we've always approached it. So we really appreciated that. And plus it allows us to just do what we're good at doing which is helping clubs be successful, right? I mean, yeah. sales is a is a process in and of itself. I mean, shoot, I sold you know twenty some odd last year. Just I mean, this year before we even engage with the Repum Group, so sales is something that we can do and that we're good at. But I fully enjoy like helping the clubs be successful. So as long as we focus on that, these guys can give us bandwidth and, and expertise on the sales side. I think it's a, it's an awesome recipe for success. I really do. I totally agree. Totally agree. And I mean, it sounds like you're well on your way to, to hitting your goal of a hundred. You know, I am curious though, what's, what's the long-term vision, you know, where, where do you see yourself? I mean, you know, you said earlier, you're in your early fifties. I don't know if I believe that, but if you are, you're probably going to live to be <laughs> well over a hundred. So, uh, <laughs> so, I mean, long-term, where do you want to take alloy? Um, you know, as, as a franchise organization and, and is there anything else on the horizon that, uh, you know, you think you'd like to, to tap into, um, you know, along with alloy? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, obviously it's early innings, like we mentioned, but you know, we think we've got at least 350 in the, in the continental U S that we can put. So that gives us a pretty long runway there. Um, then you've got Canada and I mean, thankfully, you know, and I haven't spoken really to anyone about this. This is the first time I've talked about it, but we've got all these amazing international contacts after having worked with these bigger franchises, right? They all have masters in these different countries and we have relationships with them already. I will tell you that they're already reaching out because of the work that we've done with them through other brands. 
But if you're, uh, say you're the master franchiser in New Zealand, right? And you're carrying a, another fitness brand, because we fit this perfect little niche that's kind of underserved, it's easy for us to bring that, you know, for them to bring us under their banner as well, right? Yeah, so it's a nice compliment. Look at, say, yeah. And so we know these folks in these different markets and they're already reaching out, which to your point, I just see it as a massive compliment. I'm humbled by the fact that they're this early on saying, hey, can we talk about, you know, carrying Alloy under our banner, right? And these are groups that might have four or five other fitness brands, but it might be a Pilates one, a bootcamp style and a general gym. But they're like, we need some for personal training to fit into this yeah. slot. And as you know, if you've got a ton of franchisees in market already, you have an instant market for this new thing. So if you've got a this concept that, that you know, it, it, it uh, attacks this customer avatar, then you're telling your franchisees, like you can own all the verticals in your market, right? You yeah. can own the general fitness, you can do uh, you know, Pilates concept, you could throw this personal training thing in there and in your local market, you can own all of these verticals with these different brands, all being you know, sold and serviced by the same master franchise. So it's super cool. And that is, there's definitely some potential and we know it's scalable because we've already deployed coaching models in those markets yeah. and done it with success. So that's super exciting for me. I know that we, you know, it's a bit early for that right now, but that's certainly on the horizon for us long-term. Yeah, I mean, it's always good to be thinking about the future, right? And and having some goals to work towards, even if those goals, you know, change a bit over time. And yeah, I think you guys are in such a cool spot. There's so many, you know, different doors that, that you know, are likely going to open for you as, as you keep building. So um, I'm a huge fan. Um, you know, if, if anyone out there listening, you know, if this is appealing to you, if you want to learn more, um, you know, I'd be happy to, to talk with you, get you connected to Rick and his team to kind of go through the process. Um, you know, I, I don't usually like to talk a, a whole lot of specific numbers, but, you know, you mentioned a few sure. things earlier, small footprint, you know, you're not talking huge staffs. Um, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but the type of training you guys are doing, you don't need, you know, a bunch of super expensive equipment, you know, to outfit the location with. Um, I mean, what, what are we kind of looking at? Obviously it's going to vary, you know, if someone wants to start with a single unit or, or three or four or five or whatever the case is, but you know, what are we kind of looking at on a per location basis in terms of how much capital is going to be needed to, to get the doors open and then make sure they've got enough working capital on hand for continued marketing and things of that nature. Yeah, for sure. So the FDD states like high one hundreds to mid threes. What we're finding in most markets, 250, 300, 300 on the high end, high end 250 on the low end. So think about that as, as kind of what we're seeing you know, now. Um, and again, the FDD is like high ones all the way up to mid threes, but we're mainly mid twos to three is what we're seeing in that range. So you know, that, that's where we are right now. And uh, certainly, you know, of course, you know how franchising is, you clearly can't make any profit claims that's not, that, that aren't uh, stated. Yeah. But I think if you reach out to any of our franchisees, they can speak to the uh, the healthy profit margins in that in that model. So again, quick ramp, quick pre-sale, 130 members. We can get you there almost full and sometimes completely full by the time you open. That's going to give you a much quicker return on investment. What we're finding is our multi-unit franchisees are accelerating their development schedules and shopping for additional territories. And that's happening now, which is awesome, right? Yeah. And they're absolutely. doing it in early innings. It's like, hey, we just opened. We're full. What do we do now? And we have other levers that you can pull. It's like, well, let's focus. We have supplement sales. So let's focus on that. That can drive our average spend per member up 100 bucks a month, right? If we just do it right. So we're attacking that, you know, each each individual step. But most of them are saying, okay, cool. I get it. Like, 
it's great. It's very profitable. Here's my growth trajectory. I need to do four or more. I had three, but I'm going to open every three months instead of every six months because I'm yeah. opening it, you know, this, and then I want to go ahead and buy the other four that are in my territory. It's like, okay, great. So those are the talks we're having now. And that's a real positive sign. Oh, absolutely. It is this, this early in, you've already got, you know, franchisees coming back and, and re up for more, but yeah, I wanted you to touch on that. Right. Cause I can imagine a lot of people out there listening, thinking, well, you know, I, I probably am not capitalized enough to do something like this. I mean, you sat on the advisory board for planet fitness. That's a big investment, right. To, to get one of those yeah. up and running, right. Four and, a half, a, four and a half, five million bucks. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's not what we're talking about here, right. Mid twos to, to early threes. That's a sweet spot especially when you look at how quickly it can ramp up. That's what scares most people about starting a business, right? It's not that they, they don't have confidence long-term that it will be successful. It's what are those first three to six months look like, right? Can I, can I survive the ramp up? And you guys are helping your owners ramp up quick, great cash flow. It's not a huge investment that we're talking about. A lot of things that, that make sense with this. So appreciate you sharing that. And, Appreciate you making time to, to come on and, and talk with folks about it. Um, I'll make sure I'll make sure I link uh, the website and the show notes. You do a podcast as well. Tell everyone what the podcast is and, and where they can find it. Yeah, it's super niche. Obviously, it's it's for our business and it's really for our candidates and for our industry friends. It's called the Alloy Personal Training Business Podcast. But we do a lot of things on there about customer experience and there's a lot of leadership stuff because like, listen, if you're, if you're sitting in this seat as an owner of a fitness business, you know, you are by default a leader in your community. And so what do you do with that? How do you own that? How do you, you know, go forth into your community as that leader kind of goes back to your question. It's like, you have to be fit to own this. And uh, we had a, a great conversation with a candidate this morning and he's looking to do, you know, six locations. And he's like, hey, uh, I know this sounds odd, but as a side note, can you help me get in shape before we get rolling? Because I'm not going to be the guy in there, but also don't want to be at the golf club with my buddies and be the out of shape guy that owns a fitness concept. Yeah. And I yeah. said, listen, and I've told people this before, it's a weird side benefit of this, but the accountability that comes with owning a fitness franchise can be a very compelling reason to keep yourself in shape. Makes And so yeah, it's, it's, makes it's like a default accountability, right? Because like, you don't have to be like six pack abs and Adonis and that's all stuff silly. Right. But if you're as good a shape as you can be in and people see you living the lifestyle, it puts a little bit of responsibility on you, even if you're the investor to be that person. And so that's a good thing. And everyone sees that as like, here's my opportunity to finally get in shape and make it stick because I'm going to have to in some ways, because I'm involved in this fitness brand. I'm like 100%. So that's a, that that's makes a great total sense, right? You, you don't want to be 350 smoking a pack a day talking to your buddies about John Daly. <laughs> yeah, man. I just, I just invested in this fitness concept. They're like, uh, all right. Yeah. So, well, that, that's what it goes back to. Like, sure. You can make money, but the great thing about fitness is you're doing a good thing too. And so yeah. you can, you can be that guy that you just mentioned in investing in like a muffler shop or something like that. And everybody is like, yeah, that makes sense. But a lot of the people that are looking at fitness, they're somewhat self-interested in trying to keep themselves as healthy as possible. Yeah. And this is yet one more reason to have to do that, if that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, um, maybe I need to uh, to invest in alloy. Um, I think you do. Is... You know, I wasn't like straight suggesting that. But I mean, now that you brought it up, I think I think you should look at it. 
All right. Well, I need I need to have you talk to my wife. She's forbidden me to to talk about starting another business. Um, now that we've, we've got it. three and our third kid on the way, and we're getting ready to start building a house. But you're pretty convincing, so we might. Hey, man, look. Why don't you get sit down with her tonight and watch a movie? I would suggest, like, I'm trying to think of something. Like, how about Magic Mike? And you're no, like, I'm... babe, do you, <laughs> Magic do you find them attractive? Do you want me to look like that? I don't want to dance at a club to pay the bills, but if I could look like that and do that dance for you, maybe every other Friday night, what do you say? Would that's that be a, worth it? That's then a good play. Let's invest in an alloy. That's a good play. The you other thing, I'll, idea? The other thing yeah. I'll do is uh, find find some Madonna videos from back when she was in her prime, and I'll be like, Rick's the dude that uh, didn't get her pregnant, but got her in that kind of shape. So you know, right. you're about to have your third yeah. kid. You know, you can go look like Madonna in her prime. I can look like Magic Mike. It's a win-win. We'll make a little money in the process. Um, Fittest couple in Wilmington. That's what I see. I see it on the billboard. <laughs> well, we're not there yet. So so we'll we'll see if you can help <laughs> us get there. But, hey, man, look, this has been awesome. I know um, you're busy, so I really appreciate you making time to do this. Before I let you go, if you've got another, like, 60 seconds, I like to do what I call a lightning round at the end of all my uh, my podcasts. It's the same four questions that I ask every guest that comes on. So if you got another minute, we can run through through those and then I'll, yeah, man. I'll let you go. Um, cool. I'm all yours. Let's do it. <clears throat> so first first question of the lightning round is simply, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? And that could be business. That could be personal. Uh, just best piece of advice you've ever received. I think it's more of a philosophy overall and it, it's a dead on simple and it's like control what you can and let go of what you can't. Right. And what that will do is allow you just to focus on the things that are under your control and not be so freaked out about the stuff that you can't. Hell, that could be a great advice to our overall society right now, but I, I think that's no sage doubt. advice for anyone. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I've talked a lot on the podcast about stoic philosophy, which, you know, that, oh, that goes. You're my man. Yeah, I didn't know. Right. We should have talked about that the whole time, right? Yeah, yeah. we're going to have to. We'll, we'll do like three or four more of these so we can can actually cover everything we we want to talk about. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's when I made that connection, you know, started kind of reading stuff along those lines. I mean, it was an absolute game changer for me, right? It's like, don't even sweat the stuff you can't control. You know, at the end of the day, we can always control how we react to what's going on around us. So focus on focus 100%. on that. I love it, man. I love um, it. All right. I'm curious about this one. I, I love, you know, hearing this from successful people, especially people that are in, you know, great shape and, and crushing it in all aspects of their life. Do you have any sort of a morning routine, anything you try to do every morning to prime yourself for a successful day? I do not. And it's just contrary to, to popular belief. I've tried everything, you know, and I just can't do like a kombucha and a, a meditation and an ice bath and a hot shower and a run and then like journaling and then gratitude. And, you know, it's like, man, yeah. I, and I'm, I'm not throwing shade at it, but it, like, if you're somebody who's 26 years old and you don't have a lot of responsibilities, you don't have any kids, that sounds great. But when you get a life rolling at some point, right? Like all that shit, that's a five hour morning routine. It like can for very me, easily so, turn into it. Yeah. yeah. And in a lot of ways, it's a procrastination in some ways, like your whole mm -hmm. life becomes this routine it doesn't lead to anything other than the routine. And, and listen, if you got one, that's awesome. Whatever works for you. You know what works for me? Get up, have a cup of coffee and start freaking get morning. after it. That's yeah. me. And I, just get after it. And so for me, I, I don't need it. I mean, I've tried all the things. They only worked as distractions for me. I'm best just 
and I love what I do. So I get up, have a cup of coffee and get straight on it. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. Right. Cause I've tried a lot of stuff there. There were periods where I was like, Hey, I gotta have this routine. And, and if I don't, you know, and it's like, I, I think it's just, you know, one thing, uh, cause it's cool asking these questions, to everyone that comes on, right. Cause you get all these different insights and perspectives from people that are, that are doing very well. And, and everyone's got a different approach to this. Right. So I think the key is like, figure out what works for you and, and stick to it. Right. And, and hundred percent, but I totally agree. Like if you're not careful, if you listen to everything you hear about, Hey, this is what your morning routine should look like. You know, it's going to be noon and you're just finishing your morning routine or you got to wake up at 3 AM to, <laughs> to get through it all. It's right. like well, at some point you got to like, get hey, to work get up early, especially when you have young kids got to get, get that time to yourself. It's like, yeah. I don't want to lose two hours of sleep to, to meditate for 10 minutes. I just don't want to do it. Like, yeah, again, do what works for you. But yeah. I, yeah. I do giggle at the, at the millennial uh, guy who's home with no kids and he's giving you his morning routine. I'm like, listen, you know, Wes has got three kids and five businesses and he's building a house. So I don't <laughs> think what you're doing is really going to work for him so much. So I think like you said, find what works for you and just do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be fluid likely. Right. Cause, cause you know, I used to have more time in the mornings before, you know, we had our second kid, you know, and, and now it's right. like, you know, if I can get up and like get my pants on the right way and, and get, you know, the daughter <laughs> to school on time, it's a, it's a good morning. And the win. <laughs> and if I can grab a coffee in the process, even better. Um, so uh, curious, what, what book are you reading right now? If you're, if you're a reader. I am. I'm a voracious reader. So two that I'm working on now, and these are more, I really three, there's a couple of like daily reads that I like. One is uh, the road less stupid. I think it's Keith Cunningham is the author. Amazing book. And you can, you can just pick it up and read it piecemeal. Like you don't have to read it sequentially chapter over chapter. So you read a short chapter, there's thinking points. So road less stupid, great book, very straight to the point, which as you surmise is my personality. So that's great. Um, the readings of Marcus Aurelius, we talked about, you know, stoicism. I love that same thing or the daily stoic, either way, you can just grab a one stoic, you know, philosophy and those tend to ring true with me. And then one that I'm rereading that I really enjoy, it's called decisive by Dan and Chip Heath. And they wrote switch and made to stick and a lot of great like marketing books, but decisive really speaks to, uh, decision-making. I think it's really important as you move further up the ladder in your level of influence, the quality of your decisions becomes basically your life, right? And yeah. business and personal. And so I think you really need to stress, you know, some of the things that are popular in culture these days, like go with your gut, right? Well, that ends up being horrible advice. <laughs> so there's lots of ways to mitigate, you know, um, you know, bad decision making through, through running the right process. So decisive right now is the one I'm back into. Very cool. Well, I'll have to check, check out, road less stupid and decisive i haven't uh heard of either of those so love getting good new book recommendations and you know i think the decisive but that's very relevant this day because there's so much noise out there you know it's like well like on, confirmation bias and, uh, and yeah. past successes and all these things that, that lead us to these decisions and even people that try their hardest to avoid these things even researchers that are aware of what confirmation bias is struggle to to recognize it when they're making decisions about themselves so imagine if you're like i want to do this with my business but i'm going to go out and do some you know unbiased research well it's rarely unbiased you really are just looking for confirmation to to firm up what it is that you want to do so this book will teach you how to navigate those those natural tendencies that we have make better decisions very cool i love it 
Um, all right. Final question is what is your definition of freedom and are you living it? Yeah, 100%. Like I want to wake up in the morning and do whatever it is that I want to do. Just so happens that the thing that I want to do is, is exactly what I'm doing. And to me, like I'll work night and day doing something that I enjoy, but it's got to be my, it's got to be on my terms. And I've never worked for anyone else. I'm pretty sure I'm unemployable overall. Unemployable, no I doubt. freedom. Like you give an example, a couple of years ago, I got a speaking gig in New Zealand. So I went over there a month early, rented a motorcycle and rode, or rode and camped the entire South Island of New Zealand. Oh, and then yeah. did a two hour talk and came home. Right. Like if you can't do that, why, I mean, that's life in general, yeah. that's what you're here to do. So I get, I get to be fortunate enough to be in a business that changes lives, but it also gives me this amazing freedom to do whatever the hell it is I want. And that, that to me, that's what all it's all about. And I've lived it since day one, man. So I'm super blessed and, and uh, happy to be doing that still. Yeah. That's fantastic, man. I love it. Um, you're an inspiration. Love what you're building with alloy uh glad that you and i connected and, and look forward to many more conversations with you working together and uh just getting to know you better but really appreciate you making time to drop in here on the path to freedom podcast um we'll link your website um and uh you know any way that that folks can get in touch with the podcast all that good stuff so keep doing what you're doing rick really appreciate you man likewise wes it was an honor appreciate it you got it That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at Wes at Path2FRDM.com. Thanks again. Now go drop in.